Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very, to the very end of the age. Mark 16 through 20. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you, Samantha. That was wonderful. You did an excellent. Didn't she do a very good job? She really did. You know, I love having our kids read the scripture. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, real, it's a real joy. Oops. Boy, did I set that down? I got so many books up here to carry. There's a two, two books I want you to see. I'm going to uh, refer to them just uh, a moment this morning. But uh, up on the screen, I just want you to see the covers. They're, they are, they look like this. This one is uh, No Perfect People Allowed. Our staff uh, read this entire book, and we did a retreat on this some years ago. It's just a great book by a guy named John Burke. And the, the whole idea here is, uh, the, the subtitle is Creating a Come-as-you-are culture in the, in the church. So... Essentially, what he's saying is, as we, as we share the gospel, we need to recognize that we are an imperfect people sharing with an imperfect people a perfect God. And it helps us to put the things aside that sometimes we judge, uh, we weigh the conversation with that, and put it right to the point. So that's the purpose of, of this piece here. The next one is uh, called uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian. And uh, it, it's really a great book. I'll read a thing or two out of that today. And, uh, and the reason I like that one is because it isn't like four questions to ask that'll bring people to Jesus and they get saved, and if you can do it in an elevator. It's not one of those deals. This is not a microwave of an approach to getting saved. This is a process of trying to understand people, uh, caring about them, uh, believing in them, being authentic with them, and uh, knowing that all of us are on a path. All of us are walking a direction to be uh, closer to God. And uh, it recognizes that, and it kind of develops that. So as you, uh, as you think about some reading, I would strongly suggest a couple of those. I think they're really good ones to do. Let me give you a quote. A guy named Elton Trueblood, uh, he, uh, oh, incidentally, there's a, here's a commercial. I'll do an Earl commercial. In, we hope, two weeks, uh, the bathrooms will be done. So that would be on the day of our, of our picnic. And, uh, what I, uh, and uh, I was thinking about how do we raise a little bit of, uh, you know, we've got to pay for those things. I was thinking we could take, uh, we could probably auction off first use ticket. I mean, we could auction off, and you'd be the first one to use one of those. I, I, I was thinking about that, uh, Pastor Mark, and uh, I, I know that you'd raise your hand on a good bid, uh, but it's <laughs> just going to be great to have all that stuff. 
So on that day, you'll see all that stuff, and there may be a little box in there that says, uh, uh, <laughs> for the poor, <laughs> as we kind of pay for that, that, that thing, but they're going to be great bathrooms. I mean, what a wonderful thing for the pastor to say at the beginning of his message. And if it triggers anything in you, you're excused for a moment, but you have to go all the way back now. Okay, this guy named Elton Trueblood. He, uh, he died in the 90s. He, he was a Quaker guy. He wrote a bunch, 33 books. He was sort of a, uh, a pastor statesman. He, uh, he mingled with a lot of presidents and world leaders and always was a, 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 a voice of conscience. And this guy, he said this. Perhaps the greatest single weakness of the contemporary Christian church is that millions of supposed members are not really involved at all, and what is worse, do not think it's strange that they are not. Hmm. Provocative thought. John Burke, in this book, wrote this. He says, how do we create soil in which the invisible is made visible? How do we create soil when the potential of a person that we do not see can be seen? How do we bring the best of anybody out of their life? The God-given spirit of God within them, developed in them, how do we get that out? How do we uh, cultivate that soil? And, And that's what Burke was talking about. George Barna, who's a great statistician and a Christian leader, but he does a lot of studies, and he said this. He said, 28% of adults have no church involvement, and yet 83% of United States, of Americans in the United States claim to be Christians, 83%, and yet a fourth say they don't go anywhere. Most common reason for not attending church, you want to take a shot at it? What would you think uh, the most common reason for not attending church on the part of those that claim to be Christians that once did? What is it? Want to take a shot? Too busy. busy. That's a good one. And no doubt something to do with it. Sleep in. in. You know, this is not a testimony time. (laughs) This 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 is good intellectual cognitive process. There are only hypocrites over there. That kind of has it. The number one reason is because people claim to have had a bad experience with the church. A bad experience with the church. So they don't go. Well, you know, I had a bad meal once, but I still try to show up a couple times a day or three and have a little more. But that's the number one. And part of it also is that, you know, we in the church, and listen to Trubud talk about that many of us don't think that it's strange that we're not involved, and that is within the Christian population. Uh, It is fascinating because oftentimes we think, well, man, I don't want to get involved in the church. They'll make me go out and witness. They'll have a team. They'll make me go out and knock on doors. They'll make me buy a bicycle. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus calling his, his disciples. 
In Matthew, the fourth chapter, that was that process that Jesus calling his first ones. And he said it this way. I think I used the, uh, the message in this particular one. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, a normal kind of a process that day, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. And, uh, and then he said, come follow me. Jesus said that. And I'll make you fishers of men. We're familiar with that passage. And it says that once they left their nets and they followed him. And uh, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. Now, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that when a young boy was uh, raised in the synagogue, and uh, if they're the brightest of the brightest were selected by the rabbi, to become a disciple of that rabbi. There were many rabbis around, and, uh, and there were these particularly anointed young men that were, that were mo- uh, modeled, they were trained, they were equipped to be, the very, uh, to, to, to be taken on by that rabbi, to become that rabbi's disciple. Uh, I just need to tell you, Peter and Andrew, they didn't make the cut. They were not first tier. They were not most likely to succeed. They were fishermen. The second group of people in a, in a village would then simply go to work with their parents, with their father. So either you're going to take on the role of your father if you're a fisherman or carpenter or whatever, tax collector or whatever you do, or you're, if the rabbi thinks you're really, really special and you've memorized all those passages and you've done all that work, Maybe he'll select you to be his disciple. So Jesus is wandering along, and he says to, as a rabbi, a full-blown rabbi, and he says to these two guys, hey, you guys, follow me. You're going to be my disciples. You can't imagine what was stirring in those guys in their brains. Wait a minute. My SAT tests were a little low. They didn't let me go into the first-tier university. I got passed over by my rabbi. You know, only those guys got to be disciples, not me. We're fishermen. We catch fish. We're longshoremen. We have a little language problem. Peter expressed that from time to time. Had a little, little loose on the tongue there. Picked up a little vernacular that seemed to communicate to some people. And uh, if, if, he, if he wasn't a fisherman... He likely would have been a, f- a firefighter. They have the same vocabulary. Uh, we police officers, we've cleaned ours up. Well, there's too many videos going on. You can't say anything. I mean, anymore, it's just, yes, sir. <laughs> Doesn't mean that, you know, you're not gentle necessarily, but it's yes, sir. Or ma'am. And he called these guys and said, you are first level. You're the top ones. Come be my disciples. And man. So what he did was he started to recognize, and then that model is, that Jesus calls all of us to be his disciple. And we can be that. It was amazing that he did that. He made the invisible visible. He pulled out the hidden potential of those two guys. He chose these two men as he chooses you and I. We're in a group of followers that include some... Now, here's what he did. Jesus wandered around a little bit more and got some more disciples. So here's who he got. Got a couple, some women. They were 
sort of an escort service. <laughs> Got some politicians, follow me. Got some wealthy, follow me. Got some poorest of the poor, follow me. Got some other longshore workers, military commanders, preachers, handicapped people, children, murderers, thieves, hypocrites, just to name a few. Listen, folks, do you think there's room for you in that list? There is for me. Isn't that amazing? And these are the people that he called to be his disciples, and he called you to be his disciple today. You know, when we think of the idea of evangelism, going out and telling somebody about Jesus, man, we think, oh, no, I'm going to do that. I mean, we think about it kind of like a mafia hit, hit, hit man. Like you're going to go out, hit them with the three big questions, uh, grab their shirt, make sure they say yes, and then we get on to the next one. There are fears about all this stuff of sharing our faith and and, uh, and doing that. I want, to show you, I want you to see a little clip, a little video. It's a uh, Kind of make, takes a look at this whole area. See what you think. Real Christians of genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Christianese speaking person. Mr. Christianese speaking person. When conventional wisdom said no one can understand what you're communicating, you dared to prove them wrong. Dared to prove them wrong. You knew your neighbor didn't know words like trinity, salvation, and eschatology, but you overused them anyway. You can't stop them now. When people told you what they believed, you had the guts to laugh in their face and wish them luck in everlasting retribution. You gotta be kidding. <laughs> So stand proud, chosen one. Yea, though your words confuse the masses, thou knowest what thy meaneth. Thou knowest what thou meaneth. <laughs> well, you'll remember that, and you may have been contacted by that young man uh, somewhere in your past, and a whole bunch of people out there have been, and they've been turned off. Is that an excuse? No, but that's, that's what's happening. They have been turned off. Because the, the whole idea of Jesus was he, would, he, he called these men and these women to invest in them, to put his life into them, to walk with them, to disciple them. So that's what he did. We often count decisions like scalps or like fish notches or like notches on our Bibles. Got one. And we claim numbers. And we say, we fulfilled the Great Commission. And, uh, you know, where it says, therefore, go and make disciples. And boy, we grab them and make them. But that isn't what that means. It's to go and share. Go and be incarnate. Uh, Pastor Holland preached a great sermon last week about being fully human. And I suggest you go to the website and listen to it if you weren't here. It is a, it's a very important point about the full humanity that Jesus became so we could become that. And being fully human is to be complete. And in that completeness, then, 
uh, we recognize that we become what God created us to be. And, and to be complete is really what the call of God is on our life. And uh, so we're to go and make complete people because of the power of God. And then we're to train people and we're to meet them far and near, as the translation says. And the far and near comes to the idea of the word peoples, or far and near, really represents every ethno-language in the world. It really, it was a global concept that Jesus introduced in those words, even before the globe, as we know it today, was not recognized. First filling in your outline, it's this. God has chosen an imperfect you and I to spread his love. God has chosen an imperfect you and I to share, spread his love. So glad he's chosen me, but in my imperfectness. Uh, this book here, Becoming a Contagious Christian, let me read you something out of it. It's uh, on page 39 if you ever pick one of these things up and you want to read it again, but it's some good stuff. It says this. One of the most frustrating experiences in life is to be told what to do without being given a clear idea of how to go about doing it. I just want to comment on September the 18th, when we meet together as a church with Phil Stevenson, we're going to learn more about the how. And uh, it really answers this question. So the author goes on to say, uh, unfortunately, this kind of thing happens all the time. Your boss sets a sky-high sales quota and lets you know in no uncertain terms that he expects you to meet it. He informs you that overall revenue must be raised, costs lowered, and the bottom line improved. But how you get it all done is your problem. Ever been there? Or your teacher barks out more and more assignments and books and homework piled up and the frustration grows. Read this, write that, work it out, turn to this, take the exam, pass the course. And the professor seems unconcerned that you have four other classes with equality of need. You'll just have to work it out somehow, but how you do it is a test. You'll have to take it alone. No wonder so many of us have frequent nightmares about uncompleted classes even in church, and here's where it gets us. We're bombarded with expectations to have strong marriages, obedient children, balanced budgets, ethnical businesses, effective prayer lives, meaningful relationships. But while the ought to comes through loudly and clearly, the how to often remains distant and mollified if it's heard at all. One place where this is especially true is in the challenge to have an evangelistic impact on the world. Go, therefore, into all the world. People are lost, the preacher says. They're headed for hell. God wants to reach them, and you're chosen as his ambassador. So you'd better get out of here and bring them to Christ. <laughs> How can you argue that, you say? It's biblical. It rings true. It makes sense. So here I go to take some action on it. But where? Could somebody elaborate on that technical term, get out there? How do I get started? What does the process look like? Who will help me 
take the first step. See? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start working on all those steps and, and the how-to and, and, and make it natural because it should be a natural process of our lives. It should not be uh, something that we just memorize and poke out or, or go through a, uh, just a step one, two, three, four and out the door. So keep that in mind. Uh, now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, the question was asked in a survey uh, of now 80,000 uh, members of churches, people. 80,000 responded. No, one of the number one responses was, uh, to the que- here was the question, what is the most important thing you want from your church? And the response was, challenge me, that's the next one, I think. Yeah, challenge me to grow and take the next step in my spiritual life. That's what people responded. That's what they want to happen. Another step. How do I do that? Just a step at a time. They were saying, I really don't know how to do that, but I want to do that. Remember the illustration of the rubber band? And remember how I I said, you know, the next step in your spiritual life is this. It's just this. And here's how you take it. You simply meet that step. That's how you do it. We're not doing this. That's kind of what the book was talking about. No, 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 no. We're not doing this. You don't, you don't have to move that much. That's not natural. We're going to move just a step at a time. I'm going to release the tension. And that's what we're going to do. Within our small groups, within our services, within our conversations, we're going to learn how to take a step at a time so that we can uh, grow in our relationship with God. As a staff, we've developed it. Leadership is behind this. We have worked on this, and we're working on that even this morning to kind of give a bigger picture of this. So let me take a, and give you a brief uh, lesson of what Jesus taught about this. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus taught crowds on at least 17 occasions, about 17 times the Gospels indicate he had a gathering. Feeding in the 5,000 would be an example. So that would be kind of the crowd. And However, in 46 times, he spent his time with, uh, with the 12 or smaller groups. 46 indications in the gospel he spent time with a smaller group. On occasion, with a group as large as 70, and on another occasion, 500. Most of the encounters Jesus had in the gospels, which were the smaller group, so our small groups, our life groups, we're really going to really encourage everybody to be a part of that. So let me give you another fill-in. The primary objective of the Christian church is to make effective disciples who will make apprentices that learn how to be fully human. We, the idea is an apprentice. All of us have made apprentices, and we have been an apprentice. You show a child. Sounds a little bit funny, but it was funny. I was, I was over, over here in this conversation. Boy, this is odd that comes to mind. I, I, was, I was hearing this conversation, and it's about a, 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 a little boy, just a very small little boy that was learning potty uh, lessons. And uh, there, there were two women talking about it, and I guess I, I think I was in Costco or someplace, and you know how it is. You think you're having a private conversation with someone, 
And for all intents and purposes, it could come over the loudspeaker. And so what was interesting was the uh, one woman said to the other about her little boy, well, she said, the only way to really teach him is you've got to have a man teach him how to go potty. I thought about that for a while. I thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a little different, you know, our, our, our equipment's a little different. Requires a, just a little different approach. Okay, makes a lot of sense. That would be, Dad would teach Junior how to try to hit the wall in the appropriate place or the circle, if they can. And then somebody comes in and recognizes that they're imperfect people. Some have said that is always the problem. But that is why I think you should have, if you build a house, a urinal. My friend did it. Greatest bathroom I've ever seen. All that, you know, got the other one, all that stuff. Got this urinal in the master bathroom. I tell you, man, that's a man thing. I, I couldn't believe it. He had to show me. It was... So proud of it. Isn't that funny? He has kind of cool cars and stuff, and he has a bunch of other stuff. But the big thing that he wants to show is how he can hit the wall. So we're to make apprentices. We're to be fully human. I guess I'm human enough right now. Lindy will probably talk to me about that. But we really want to be human. And the effective training requires that we show someone how to do it. Uh, probably now we have visuals of little boys. But we have to show them how to do it. We have to tell them how to do it. We have to let them do it and kind of have to supervise them doing it. We need to, we need to go through that whole process and the step-by-step -step which we really want to do. Wesley used the format in his dynamic movement of the Methodist movement, which was revival all over Europe and even hit the States. And he said there's two necessities, and they'll show up, on the, I think, on the screen. The first necessity is that he understood is the necessity of discipleship. And here's what he said. He said, I am more and more convinced that the devil himself desires nothing more than this, that the people of any place should be half awakened and then left to themselves to fall asleep again. Oh, dear Jesus, I'm awake. I have a half a touch. Now don't bother me anymore. I want to finish my nap. It's kind of like what True Blood said. Churches have people in them but not engaged. Communities have people in them, but not engaged. Schools have people in them, but not engaged. And to be engaged in our faith is a, is a vital requirement. But you say, but I don't know how. Fair question. The second thing that I think Wesley uh, said about small groups, and this is where he got into his small group idea, he said it way back in 1743. He said, such a society called these small groups uh, kind of a, well, a grouping, or he called them a society, such a society is no other than a company of men having the form and seeking the power of godliness, united in order to pray together, to receive the word of exhortation, and to watch over one another in love, that they may help each other to work out their own salvation. So Wesley recognized that we've got to have uh, discipleship, and then we need to do it through the concept of, of small groups. So today, in our language, we say, let's come together on weekend services, then let's have life groups or cell groups, 
which uh, Wesley talked about, many others have talked about, as the real vital place where we come together, we meet together, and we grow together. And then we develop the core. And out of that core, we become disciples for Christ. In that core, Wesley asked some questions, and, and, and this is kind of where I would love us to go. It's going to be, uh, you know, we can only do this within the context of trust. But when trust is established, there's grow, you can grow. Here are some of the questions they asked every single week in the little groups that got together. What known sin have you committed since our last meeting? Now, that's a great introduction. Welcome. Nice to have you. So, so good to have you. What known sin have you committed since we met last week? Goodness sakes. What do you mean, what known sin? What known sins? Second question they asked. I mean, this old boy was rough. What temptations have you met with? Oh, man. Isn't the guy meddling now? I mean, that really is off limits to challenge me on just the temptation. I haven't even done the thing. I've just thought about it. And he wants to know that. The third thing is, how were you delivered from the temptations and the sin that you committed since our last meeting? I mean, can you imagine that funny old boy just kind of laying that out? Fourth question. What have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? Well, la-di-da. <laughs> and here's the last one. Have you nothing you desire to keep secret? That's all old English stuff saying, is there anything you're hiding? Oh, we're not going to get quite that brutal. However, it would be so great to be able to be honest and open in some kind of a trusting uh, grouping of people. Where, in fact, there's no place to hide because you don't need to. Where it's a safe place, where there's mutual submission, there's correction, there's support, there's counsel, and there's love. And you can be fully human. In order for that to effectively be laid down, we've got to train, we've got to learn, and we've got to learn how to walk through that. Here's another fill-in. Wesley's goal was to produce men and women that were godly and of service to others. He attached godliness and service in the same phrase. It's very important. Most, many times we say, be a great Christian, be sanctified, be, be holy, get the Holy Spirit, be, be filled with the Holy Ghost, be slain in the Spirit and all that stuff. And you've got to get all that holy stuff. But Wesley said, and, 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 and by being godly, you will be of service to others. Man, he just wouldn't let you off the hook by being well, just super spiritual. Oh, good, I talk in tongues more than the rest of you, Paul said. I mean, he had all that stuff. But he counted it, but not. Of godly, to be godly and of service to others. That's our goal, that we learn to be godly and of service to others. And we don't take the one over the other. We simply recognize that you cannot separate those two. We will be all of that. 
So as we kind of move into the fall, we're going to really work on that piece by piece by piece and give you an opportunity to really look at that from your own perspective. So this will produce a new kind of citizen. Wesley wanted his flock to be fully human. He wanted them to be authentic. Uh, the clip shows what not to do. We're going to work on showing you what to do. Oh, I love, I love one of these other illustrations in this book. Uh, this one... This is great. So, so often we're so unauthentic and we're, we're so pompous in our faith, you know. It, it just, it, listen to the radio sometimes. Some of those people just, my goodness, they make Jesus worried about all their answers. Jesus seldom answered the question. Mostly he said, well, the kingdom of God is like, and used the parallel. Or he would do the rhetorical Socratic idea. He would ask the question. Seldom did he give emphatic answers. But listen to this. I once heard of a guy that illustrates the tremendous temptation to make ourselves appear bigger than we are, puffed up. Man, I got it, you know. Got it together. This is, this is what it says. It's about a newly promoted colonel in the army who had moved into a recently built makeshift office during the Gulf War. He had just arrived and was getting things organized when out of the corner of his eye, he saw a private coming across carrying a toolbox. Wanting to seem important, he quickly spun around and picked up his phone. Yes, General Schwarzkopf. Yes, yes, of course, sir. I think that's an excellent plan. You've got my support on it. Thanks for checking with me. I'll touch base with you soon, Norm. <laughs> and he briefly hung up, and he turned around. And what can I do for you, he asked the private. Ah, uh, I'm just here to hook up your phone. You know why a lot of people are not here? Because they can't, ha they can't handle deception. They can't handle pride. And they say, we're hypocrites. Someone said, you know, the reason that people don't, you know, don't come to church is because there's hypocrites there. Yes. Yes. We're all hypocrites in one way, and we're trying to learn to be more godly, more humanly godly and real. And uh, so it isn't about throwing things at people. It's not about beating them up. It's about walking with them. So this fall, that's what we're going to do. We're going to drill down on three things. One is how to authentically communicate your faith story. How to authentically Communicate your faith story. Every one of us has a faith story, wherever we are. Maybe we don't yet embrace Christ. Maybe we do. Wherever we are, we have a faith story. And we're going to develop that faith story. Find out about your faith story. Everybody has one. Secondly, 
We're going to reach out, show you how to reach out in your sphere of influence. How to be an influence wherever you are. An influence for godly and good things. The service to others. And some of you have unique places where no one else can go. And that would be a a particular uh, impact on your personal world. Thirdly, how to become change agents. How to make a difference. An agent of change. And we need more of those, don't we? So... We're going to offer classes and have testimonies and materials and, and preaching themes and training. And, and we're going to try to do that within the context of the times we're already together. On the, the weekend service and then again or in a Sunday school class maybe in addition to that or maybe a midweek. Somewhere where there's an additional time and try to compress all that together so that it works for you in your time pressures as indicated a little earlier. And we're going to teach, we're going to listen, we're going to respond, there's going to be feedback, we're going to celebrate it, we're going to have a great time walking together. There's a survey. Uh, some of you, did, did, has that been, is that out? It's not yet. You're going to, when will it be out? After this morning it'll be out. There's going to be a survey go out on all your email. We need you to take it. It'll take you about five minutes to ten minutes. It's not very long. It is a baseline by which we can understand better where people are. If you did not, uh, if you're not on our email list, there's a black book that uh, I think, are they here? Yeah. You can write your name and put your email in that, and we'll send you the survey. And uh, you just simply, it's an anonymous thing. You just click it off. It goes to a survey company. It's, it's a cool deal. And uh, we get that information, and then we'll look at the baseline and kind of see where the questions are and try to respond to, to those. And that'll be helpful. Now, I, you all got something when you came in. This little, call it a stone, right? I gotta, I gotta use this as my final illustration. If, uh, it's awfully pretty, it's too pretty to be a stone. And I realize it's resin, but think about it as being a stone, a smooth stone. In order for a stone to become smooth, Usually, you'll get it out of a riverbed, right? And how long does it take? Thousands of years, millions of years, I don't know. It takes a long time. But here's, here's why it's smooth. It's smooth because the environment by which that stone is in, over time, has more influence on the stone than the rugged, sharp uh, uh, craters that were on the original volcanic piece that dropped into that little river. And over time, the current influenced that stone and smoothed it out. Folks, if you'll just stick with us, stay with us. Wherever your edges are you've got, wherever the fears are you might have, Whatever your concerns are, whatever makes your stone a little bit rough, stay with us. Over time, we're going to smooth that thing out and let God mold us into the stone that he considers beautiful. And that's each and every one of you, for you are that. And to God, you are incredibly beautiful. Some of us are trying to see that in ourselves even though God already sees that in us. And we're not accepting that. We're going to walk through that process. 
for you are all of that. Fair enough? So take that thing with you, put it somewhere, and every place, every time you see it, recognize it. You are a ragged, volcanic piece of molten lava that God is perfecting with his presence. So put yourself in places where it's going to form you, in worship, in a life group, in an accountability with someone else. You'll find that it'll make quite a difference in your life. So let's just pray for that to happen, and we'll become a culture of Christians that are authentic. And in so doing, we'll be following Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us as imperfect people. And you have seen in us something that you love so much that you came in our imperfection with our rough edges and our, our failures. And you saw that and you said, follow me. And you asked for the privilege of forming us into the smoothness of that precious stone, that, that one that sets beside the cornerstone and helps to build the church, the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the place, the body of Christ that is beyond measure. Teach each of us to have a desire to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.